Welcome back to a oh, excuse me, I clipped the music that time. But anyway, welcome back to another episode of Bed Talks. I'll let you intro because you know you've been. Well, that's what I do. No, that's what I do, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) For the past year or so, I know you guys have really been missing Kay's greeting, where I always say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night to all you podcasters out there. Since this podcast is broadcast all throughout the world. But you know what, since we're talking about communication, I think we've brought in the right person. So we wel- we're welcoming to the show a psychologist, uh, Amber Dawson. We're going to get to the bottom of this. And I should be letting you do the take the lead on the intro or if it should be me. I'm kidding. But anyway, welcome to the show, Amber. We are so happy to have you here tonight. Yeah, thanks. I'm very excited to be here with you today. Yeah, so why? Whatever time it is. Exactly, whatever time, because we do have people that listen to the show that live in all parts of the world. So we always, that's why Kay always says good morning, afternoon, and evening. And I did kind of take I took it back. I took, I took his took phrase, it back. but I no, always. No, I, I had sympathy because during COVID, you know, everyone was kind of in a, a, you know, funky state. Um, so I just let her have it. But um, thank God, you know, <laughs> the bands, the restrictions uh, have lifted. People have gotten, you know, better healed and so forth. So I'm taking it back. Oh, wow. She's, she's letting you have it now that everything's lifted. Is that what it is, Amber? Exactly. So she let, she let me. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be a great <laughs> conversation. Let's go. Let's go. All right, Amber, let's get into it. Can you tell people a little bit about like what you do and where you're from, um, where you practice? Yeah, so I'm a couples therapist in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I have my own practice, Ember Relationship Psychology. Um, this was like a playoff of my name, which has actually been confusing. So my name is Amber, but my practice is Ember. I noticed like that. Stoking in Ember, right. but now everyone calls me like Ember, and I'm like, oh, I think whatever, you should fine. run with it fine. and just say that you do something to like, I don't know, stall out the, take out the, the flames. The embers or- are burning. <laughs> The if your embers, embers are, burning, are burning, Amber will take care of your embers. I don't know. We're not okay, brand new I, I like, I like <laughs> She'll put like your fires out. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking, and, you know, when I noticed um, you on Instagram, um, you know, where I find a lot of my great guests, by the way, I really appreciate people who put work into the content they put out and that you can tell they're really educating and informing, and you're very good at that. Um, so you. I was, yeah, so I was curious, like, when couples come to you, why is communication so doggone hard? Like, you're dating someone, you're with them for a year or two, you say you go to a committed relationship, I'm not talking about us, baby, and then you get, you get too late, <laughs> you take it to the next level, and then it's like, hey, I, I can't communicate with this person. What happens with couples in that period where it seems like they were communicating, and then it starts to falter? I mean, a few things. Usually we enter relationships, like, on our best behavior you don't go in thinking oh i'm gonna show them this this uglier side of me you know we reserve that for a little later often but we go into partnerships on good behavior can't we tend to go out on dates and date people with the hope this is gonna work maybe they're gonna be the one or whatever that notion is right so we generally go in on good behavior and then we're helped out so if you are so lucky as to have chemistry with that person that you're with you're gonna have an increase in dopamine which is a neurotransmitter that's gonna make you feel good so if you feel good you're gonna you know, nicer things are going to come out of your mouth and you're going to overlook maybe some of the things that they say that are less great. You're going to have an increase in oxytocin, which is like a bonding hormone. It's going to make you feel lovey and connected with each other. Um, You know, so because we have these like neurochemicals working with us, we're less likely to have conflict in the early time when this is part of our our neurobiology. Now, eventually, 
that nice phase, we can call this a limerence phase or the new love phase, it comes to an end. And we're, we're no longer helped out by that neurochemical cocktail. So then you're kind of left with yourself and you don't have that feel good. When your partner says that thing that kind of bothers you, you don't have that kind of feel good hormone going on in your brain that's helping you see that through a positive lens. You're left with a different lens and it's harder to respond in a favorable way or to see it in a favorable way. And then you're kind of left with probably some of your conditioning from your early life, things you've been taught in the in the media or in movies, and you're left with dealing with your emotions. When you have those, you know, first few fights, those disagreements, those hard times, you're left to deal with them. And that can be hard. Yeah, I like the way Kay says this, and he's probably thinking it, because um, we sometimes think similar in the podcast. <laughs> but he's like, it's like the first or second time that, you know, your husband or wife throws the, the clothes on the... Uh, well, I, ca- I call it the sock right. analogy. Tell her, tell her about the, the sock, sock analogy. analogy. And what that yeah, yeah. pretty much implies is, you know, in the dating phase, as you stated, you know, everyone is putting their best foot forward. You know, the endopamines, everything is just the chemical content is through the roof. And you leave, you know, your socks on the floor. She comes by while you're watching the game. It's so silly. Don't leave your socks here. She kisses you on the cheek and says, I'm going to put these in the dirty clothes hamper. Oh, it's great. A year, two years later, you know, uh, two years later, get these socks up. The whole attitude changes. You know, this place is a mess, you know, and that's the analogy that I always use based on what you're saying. So you Yes, s- absolutely. Yeah. And you said a lot of different things like, you know, there are, there is a lot of emotional chemical responses going on in your body that's making you bond with this person, all a healthy part of building a relationship. So when you get to that part where you all that's kind of I, I call it like the honeymoon phase, once that honeymoon phase has worn off and say now you're starting to see things a little more clear, not through rose colored glasses as much, because now you're really seeing that person more, you know, more, more in a normal light. Right. How do you like guide couples through that? Because you're right, we you know come to these relationships, different backgrounds, different value systems, and how do you merge? I think you know the thing I see a lot as a coach is there's a lot of people out there talking about self love, which I'm all about that, and you know, but I'm also about self accountability and people kind of mm. breaking patterns, which I think is a lot harder. And when you're by yourself, a lot of times it's a little easier because there's not this person holding you accountable, which is why I think there's a struggle. Right. When you get in a relationship, because it's almost like a mirror is being held up. You can't run away. It's like all right here. So how do you like, you know, coach couples through that process of like restoring communication where maybe I'm going to use an example where they've tried to communicate many times, but it just they, they, they go into the same pattern or they they just hit that roadblock and they just can't get over that roadblock. Well, let's use your sock analogy. So let's imagine, you know, you've, you've had the same fight about the sock. You know, it started out that lovely kiss. Oh, I put this way for you. But three years later, it's about you're disrespecting me. You don't care about me or my time. I'm not valued. The partner's like, I don't know you anymore. I'm feeling disrespected in how you're speaking to me. I'm so confused. So what starts to happen? We have these strong emotions. And we start to dig in our heels. We get rigid in our positions. The one of you is like, who cares that the sock is on the floor? Like, it's a sock. The rest of the room is generally clean. And the other one is like, no, this means I'm disrespected. This is unfair. Don't you see all the other things that are undone? And you get more rigid and rigid in your positions. You don't hear each other anymore. You go over the same argument again and again. This is what research from the Gottmans calls a gridlock perpetual problem. So in relationships, we have what are called solvable problems. That's only 31% of relationship problems. Yeah, I saw like, that because I, I follow the Gottmans too. 30, so yeah, tell people about the like 31% versus 
Yeah. And then perpetual problems are 69% of your problems. So you have different beliefs and values. We all have different beliefs and values. Whether you grew up in the same house, but or if you grew up across the world, you're going to have more different beliefs and values usually because you're going to have not only your family of origin, the school you went to, the culture you're raised in, you know, the subgroups and the cultures you're raised in, the, the friends you're around. We all have different beliefs and values that we bring to everything, including it can be the sock on the floor. So maybe for one of you, you grew up in a home where everything had its place. From a young child, you couldn't leave a toy out. You couldn't leave a sock out. Everything had a place. And so, and and maybe you had a mom that if something was out of place, maybe, who knows, maybe you got a wooden spoon on the bum or maybe you got yelled at. Maybe love was pulled away. There was a consequence to everything not being in its place. And so you learn to put it in its place. And that's what you come to expect. That's just the way things are. That's how it's been for you. Now, on the other side, we have another partner who maybe in their house, there were socks everywhere. Like the dog, my dog, my dog loves socks. He drags socks everywhere. And we leave socks everywhere in our house because my dog loves socks and he just brings them everywhere. So, you know, and, and to me, it just means, oh, the house is generally clean, but then uh, the dog does it. It wasn't me, it was the dog. It was really the dog. <laughs> and so we just leave socks. Now these two people get together, me with someone who's like, yeah, socks, socks go wherever the socks go because that's what the dog does. And someone who's like, no, it has a place. It's in the laundry basket. You don't leave it for the dog. Those are two conflicting opinions. Now what happens is we fight. What couples don't realize, or, or maybe we intellectually know, but it's hard to wrap our head around is that you're both right. Like the sock does have a place and it's probably okay if it's on the floor, but how are you going to deal with it as a team? And because usually in this debate, we've started to do things like criticize. Maybe we've started talking down to our partner. Maybe we're being defensive or we've started to emotionally disengage. Well, then we fight about it and then we just dig in our heels. So the antidote to these kinds of problems sounds simple, but it's really not. So what we're doing is we're, talk, we're fighting about it. We're fighting about the sock. What we need to transition that to is talking about it. Dialogue. I know that doesn't sound like a huge win, but it is. Because when you're fighting, no, it should be there. And you don't appreciate me. And I'm not cared about. And everything has a place. And, uh, and you're getting all mad. That's not talking. That's blaming. That's accusation. That's talking down to. Now, what we need to be able to do is say and talk about, you know, when I was a kid, everything had a place. When I see something out of place, I feel hurt and I feel underappreciated because that's that's what it was like when I was growing up. And I don't know, my, my impulse is to want to yell when I see them there because that's, that's the treatment I got. And to share about what that means to you and then allow your partner to share what it means to them. Well, to me, I'm confused. Socks were everywhere. I didn't, I didn't know it was such a big deal. And I feel hurt and, and flooded with emotion when, I'm, when, when I see you yell about the sock. And we have to talk about what this means. What, 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 that's hard to do. But when you can talk about it, what it means, staying away from that blame, staying away from that accusation, then you come to some sort of uh, understanding. And sometimes that's enough because what couples have to come to is tolerating, accepting that your partner just has a different way. And then sometimes after you've heard each other, you can compromise on a bit of the problem. Now, if some of those, those perpetual problems, those 69% of problems are perpetual, you're not going to solve. Or you might solve a part of it. But not the whole thing. And when I saw that, and, yeah. And when I saw that statistic, I thought, you know, that that sixty nine percent could be minor to major problems. So yeah. it's like the things you're talking about, where you you may reach some consensus, or you just some things you let go, right? Yeah. But I I just thought that statistic was so <laughs> jarring. I was like, wow. So if only not even what was one third of the issues are solvable, but like actually two thirds, well seventy percent 
I should say more than two thirds are un, um, are unsolvable. They're per, they're perpetual. So it's all about how you manage through them. And that's something. Yeah. So because, what we want yeah. is for them to stay perpetual and not become perpetual gridlock because we're all going to have belief, different beliefs, values than our partner. Hopefully, we hopefully most of them overlap. But when you get those ones that don't you're going to have problems and it's keeping them as perpetual problems that you can have dialogue about and keeping them away from being problems that you battle about. Yeah. I like that. What were you going to now say? Now explain that because you said, if I understood you correctly, keep those perpetual, keep the perpetual problems, the problems so you can talk through those problems. Did I, did I understand you correctly? Yeah. So the perpetual problems. Okay. So there's solvable problems like I like to squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube and my husband likes to squeeze it from the end of the tube. We're never going to agree by two toothpaste. Problem solved, okay? Solvable problem. Then we have, you know, I don't know what we did. We'll just go with sock in. So what we <laughs> wanted to say, maybe we're never going to agree on cleanliness standards for the house. Most couples have a few things that we're never, you're never going to agree on. You're never going to see it eye to eye. It's not going to be perfectly solved. And the antidote is when they come up as a trigger, when they come up as a problem, to be able to talk about it, have a dialogue about it, express your needs, your feelings, both be heard by each other. Maybe that's all you do. You just hear it and you're like, oh, yes, here's our difference again. Okay. And then maybe sometimes you solve part of the problem, knowing the larger issue is still going to exist. Because you're still you're working to- on trying to get those perpetual problems into solvable problems. No. You, you say they might not, stay perpetual, but I'm saying, but aren't you still trying to? OK, right. It's almost like from what you guys are saying, the 69 percent is going to stay the 69 percent. And there should be no effort to try to transition that 69 percent over into hopefully the 31 percent that will become maybe 32 percent, you know, like you can solve parts of them. So let's imagine drug use as a topic, for example, maybe one of you thinks like doing truck shall I choose doing doing cannabis uh maybe you're in a place where it's it's just become legal and maybe one of you is like no this is a drug it is bad it is the gateway drug the things you're told in school like it's it's really bad and the other one grew up in a place where it's been legal for a long time and they're like everybody does it and it's natural and you're on different ends of this debate you start out in different places what you want you these two people may come to a place where they both agree now, but because they came from totally different places, one group, it was illegal, it was against the law, you went to jail for it, no one did it, it ruined a close family. You're, you're gonna have these different beliefs and values where someone else, the group it was legal, never caused problems. You have these differences. Those differences probably aren't ever gonna come together to be the same. What you wanna be able to do is talk about those differences and then maybe you can compromise. So maybe one of the partners wants to use it on occasion and the other person's like, what? I thought this was the most illegal, awful thing. How could you want to use it on a Friday night? But maybe they come to the one partner can use it every other Friday and never any other time because that's their compromise. Every once in a while, it still comes up though, where the partner that hates it is still pissed and they're like, oh, I wish you just never did it. But their temporary compromise is that they can still do it every other Friday, but they still have hurt feelings about it. And that's just what they've, it doesn't solve the whole problem, but maybe they can solve for a piece. Okay. Of the problem. And, and, and just to make sure we're clear on this, we're talking about adults, right? Because if, yes. if we're to follow that, I know there are some parents who are probably listening. So oh, I can do that with my children, too. So could you please clarify that this is just pre- preferably for adults? Because I think when you start getting on those grounds of compromising with your children when it's just something that they should not be doing. I think you can walk on some dangerous, dangerous grounds. What, what do you say to that? 
Or I'm do you believe it's adults. the same? Do you think it's the I'm same? I'm talking about adults. Okay. I mean, okay. My, my feedback right now is, so there's many things in like couples help that can solve with kids, but I am talking about adults. I just wanted you to, I just wanted you to clarify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had another question for you. There was um, a post you did not too long ago about the five reasons people end up getting divorced. And I thought it was pretty interesting. I don't know if you remember it or not, because I know when you're posting, it's like you're just in a zone. Let me do a scroll through my Instagram. <laughs> but basically, I know one thing was like accusatory behavior or accusations. Um, one thing was about stonewalling. Um, and it was a couple other pieces in there. And I want you to kind of layer into that a little bit just to like talk through that, because I thought it was a good and I'm and you said there were five yeah there were five like five minutes. there were five things that you know Amber shared and she pretty much was saying like hey this is what leads to divorce yes, and, okay. I, and I thought it was I thought it was good because the other thing that I want you to talk about after this is why you think people should talk to somebody when their relationship problems are small is because I do think when people wait too long that's when there's mm. so much resentment and it's just so hard it's kind of like losing weight right like if you put on five pounds it's a little easier to take off five pounds but if you just go gangbusters and you put on 30 even though you may have had a good time putting on that 30, you're going to have, mm-hmm. it's going to take you longer, right, to deal with it. And I just think. Well, people, preventative maintenance. Right. Even it's if like it's if you an could, incremental. You know, right. So if you could be proactive, I just think there's, it, it, there's always an advantage there. Like you get a head start almost. Because you, because I mean, according to the statistics and the research that's out there on millions of people, people are going to encounter similar. I mean, I'm sure some of the things you hear are similar problems, similar challenges. Because you talked oh, about yeah, communication. Totally. Yeah, being one of them. Okay, so hold on. Two questions. So the solvable problem, or sorry, the, the was, solving your problems when they're smaller problems. That was the so second you, thing you talked that about. That's pressure thing. in my mind. So that yes, that's yeah, true. You can so start the research that. tells us yeah. with couples, they tend to wait on average six years before getting couples therapy. So they've had their problem for six years before getting yeah. some help. And when a problem is that dug in, like you said, if you put on fifty pounds, it's way harder to lose than if you lose if you've gained five. Mm-hmm. And so, I just encourage people to remember: like, often people say it's not that bad, and that's why we don't want to go. That is like a great time to go. I love working with couples when it's not that bad. I'm like, okay, so things aren't that bad. That is great. Mm-hmm. Let's let's solve these. You know, you can do four, eight, sixteen sessions. We can probably really help you out. But can it turn bad though? You start. I'm sorry. <laughs> You, My you, go, yeah, you, go, you go to Amber and everything for the most part is fine. But you just say, you know, what? we just want to do some preventative maintenance. It's nothing major. We just want to go see Amber and we're going to talk through these things. But in actuality, maybe some of those issues are now expounded or, or compound that can cause more issues. Because I know with counseling or therapy, you know, the purpose is to try to overturn, you know, every stone so that we can address those stones. I said that in a, in a comical way, but truth be told, that can happen uh, because I know like even with your own, you know, uh, uh, wife or husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, that it could be something that's minor that you guys just may decide to talk about. But in the process, it can actually, you know, uh, um, amplify. It can. Like, it can <laughs> if you go to that approach of leaving every stone un- unturned. And I think there are certainly therapists where that happens. I'm sure it has happened in my work, too. Now, if people truly come to me with like a small problem there are times when I'm like, this is a small problem. There's no reason you need to see me more than four times. Like, mm. let's, like I, tr- I, I think that's a common misconception about therapy, actually, that we need to leave every stone unturned. And some therapists operate that way. I don't. I'm like, if you don't need to be in therapy, like, let's give you some skills. Let's give you some tools. Let's work me out of a job. That's we good. can. 
that's good unturn every stone if you if you want right. to that's part of your therapy goals right. but like part of being in a great relationship is like learning some skills and some tools and, and creating that great partnership with each other and if you don't need therapy great i like it. that Sir, I like that. And that's one of the reasons I brought that up because, you know, and I'm not knocking any therapist, but there are some, it's like doctors, you know, you go in for, I don't know, a cough and, you know, they say, well, actually, I noticed something else. You have a rash, you know, under your forearm. Yeah. It's like, look, I just came in for the cough, you know, um, I want yeah. to focus on that right now. So I hear what you're saying. It really depends on the couples as well as on the, uh, on the therapist. Yeah. And also like sometimes people come in, they're like, oh, I have this small problem my partner like doesn't talk to me very nicely we just want to tweak that and then they're like we get into talking they're like oh and there's an addiction and also we've both been unfaithful right, and, right, and right. um we we have a secret child that uh, we just found out about. right we're, <laughs> we're worried about this small little problem of how we're talking to each other and i'm like oh that's not a small problem right. because that is the symptom of all these other things so in that case we would unturn many stones because there's lots of things that are influencing right. how people are speaking to each other but truly there's people that come in and they're like yeah we've just been having the same fight we can't work through it can you help us literally they that's their only problem or they um you know they're not sure about something they want to work that through or there's yeah. been some crisis or something or some hurt feeling or you know, we can work through it and then it's done. And I think, like you so. said, something important, like when you go to a therapist, sometimes it's like dating. It's not a good fit. Like mm -hmm. you have to yeah. you have to really lean in and mm -hmm. you should feel comfortable being yourself, bringing your authentic self, being able to reveal things. And you should be getting some results. Right. And if you're not feeling like you're going to get those results or those results aren't happening and you've been because I know some people that went to therapy for years and sometimes you're like, I don't think that worked well like maybe that wasn't the best match therapist for you or whatever not blame the therapist or maybe they didn't take action because the other piece i will say as someone who coaches people is you can give people all the direction the tools and some of the answers you know we don't know everything we're, we're imperfect too but we know many things because we we're really bringing people cumulative knowledge of all the people we're talking to all the experiences we have personally as well as the experiences of the people we're talking to so we kind of know after a while what works what doesn't work but people have to do the work as well I think that's yeah. the hardest part and, and and sometimes the most disappointing part that you can lead the camel to the water but the camel doesn't have to drink the water so people have to at a certain point have that self-accountability to be willing to lean in and try something different especially if what they've been doing is not working so I think it's a it's a two it's a partnership it's twofold it's yeah. not just on one person um, but going back to the divorce thing, and I, man, I'm so sorry that I don't have all the five things in front of me, but we could focus on the two. I think one of them was just like you said, accusations, um, when someone's constantly making accusations. And then the other piece was on, ooh, I'm going blank right now. It was accusations and stonewalling, which goes oh, back- Oh, predictors of divorce? Yes, that one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Okay, so based on, again, John Gottman's research, he, he, he looked at couples. What sets them up to succeed? What sets them up to fail? I'm like a level three, got, three trained Gottman therapist. I'm going to be Gottman certified. So most things that come out of my mouth are Gottman. I know. I'm going through it too, so I get it. It's, it's very yeah. eye-opening uh, information. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first, when, when he kind of looked at, so these things do happen in happy long-term couples. They repair, and they're not the dominant communication patterns. Now, when these become the dominant communication patterns and they're happening often, or sometimes even not that often, depending on which one is used, it can really be disruptive. So the first thing is what we call harsh startup. So this is what it sounds like, starting a conversation harshly, harsh words, harsh tone. So you're coming out with criticism, you're coming out with contempt, you're treating your partner like not very well when you're starting that conflict conversation. The second thing, so what uh, the Gottmans talk about is the four horsemen 
of the apocalypse. So the four horsemen also overlap with that harsh startup. So they are criticism, contempt, stonewalling, defensiveness. So I'll define those. So criticism, pointing out a personality character, a characteristic or a flaw in your partner. You're so lazy. There you go again, leaving the, sh- leaving the sock on the floor. Contempt, talking to your place from, partner from a place of superiority, talking down to them. What do you think I am? Your maid? I'm not your mother. Pick up the sock off the floor. Third, defensiveness. What? It wasn't me. I I don't leave the sock on the floor. It was the dog. Maybe the kids did it. Or so, so we have, we can be defensive in innocent victim or we can be defensive in counterattack. Yeah, so I left the shoes on the floor. I mean, the sock on the floor, but you know what? You left the dishes in the sink. Okay, so defensiveness. And the last is stonewalling. So this is conveying your displeasure, disapproval through emotionally or physically disengaging from the conversation. So just staring at your partner back blankly, getting up, walking away. So these things are highly predictive of relationships breaking down. They're really bad for relationships. So every couple is going to have conflict because you're going to have all sorts of unsolvable problems. But it matters how you talk to your partner because these things erode Uh, the trust and the goodwill and the good nature in your partnership. Why do you think there's a power struggle in relationships? Now, you know, I know this is kind of a two-part question. Um, First, like I just asked, why do you think there's a power struggle in relationships? And the second part of this question is, do you believe in the hierarchy of a relationship or a family dynamic? Define power struggle for me do i think there's a power struggle power in what way there can be lots of power in different ways so what way are we thinking okay well okay okay let's put it like this uh power with making decisions okay in a relationship where um you know or power with income you know if you have uh, a spouse or your significant other that's making more and and you're not that tends to be a power struggle or both you both parties are trying to they're, they're in competition with one another you know, trying to make the most, um, trying to do the most instead of really collaboratively working together. Um, you know, so power struggle simply meaning trying to control, you know, both mm-hmm. parties are trying to control one another, trying to control the environment, trying to control the family dynamic. And I know, again, when you have two people, yes, you know, both should be working in unison, but unfortunately it's become a power struggle, not where you're actually working together, but you find mm-hmm. yourselves working against each other. You know, they say two heads are better than one, but only if those two heads are on the same page, you know? Okay. So uh, that's what I mean when I, when I mention power. Okay, sorry, you said power struggle in relationship, but now I've forgotten the first part of your That's question. okay, just, 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 an, just answer that one and then I'll get your hierarchy. But just yeah. answer that one and then we'll go to the second part of that question. Do you believe in a hierarchy in the family dynamic or in you know a couple's relationship? I believe that cross-culturally, there are times when there still are hierarchies in relationships and that works for some couples. And then in other cultures and other relationships and other family systems, they don't want a hierarchy anymore. Mm-hmm. I tend to not take a position on what people should do in their marriage. I would take the more of the position of once they're in that marriage, how can I support them and how can I help them? I think if within your cultural system, if you have a perception of unfairness within that power system, whatever that is, that's going to erode trust. That's going to erode the feeling like we're in it together. But if that power or that hierarchy makes sense to that couple because that fits within their beliefs and values and it feels fair and equitable given what they both believe that it might be okay but i kind of 
sit back and kind of go, depending on what they believe and what conditions they've kind of entered into that marriage under, maybe it's okay. And I try to keep myself out of what another people, what another couple's doing in their bedroom, how they decided to get there. Okay. Um, okay. All right. That That's fair. That's fair. So in other words, you know, if a couple comes to you and they're having issues, um, you know, whether it's a power struggle or whether one of the spouses, you know, states that, look, it's almost like she's in control or he's in control. How can we resolve this, this, this hierarchy in the family dynamic that would be beneficial to, to everyone? From what you're saying, that's something that you try not to tell them how they need to go about it, but how they need to, to, to manage it. And I'm going to tell you why I'm asking this, because I've heard so many times, whether it's from therapists, whether it's from counselors, you know, that this 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 family dynamic now is where everything is supposed to be equal across the board. And when I say equal, what I mean is it's like in corporate America. All right. You have a CEO. OK, then you have a manager. So it's almost like people don't want to use the term hierarchy because it does sound domineering and dominating. But in actuality, there it, most families operate in that higher, you know, hierarchical you know, standard and don't even know it. You have, whether yeah. it's a deity, whether it's the husband, the wife, the children, you know, it tends to operate better as long as it's operating, you know, fairly, because it's not that the woman is supposed to be subservient. It's not that the man is, but the man is actually, if he's supposed to be the servant leader, if the woman is supposed to be the support, if the children are supposed to follow the mother and the father, that's a high, that's a hierarchy that people don't realize they're operating in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it depends on what the hierarchy is they're coming to me with. And if it's 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 an agreement they both have or if it's not, though, I tend to stay out of like value judgments about what people should be doing behind their closed doors in their life. What I will bring up is if I can see somehow this hierarchy is destabilizing their relationship. So we want to have a conversation about what does this mean to you both? What do you both need? What are your both wishes and how can we help you come together to change that? Because if it feels hierarchical and someone's unhappy then they're not going to be happy then it's not working so, so really they sense. have to be on the same page you know and understand whatever your family dynamic is then you know it needs to be where both parties are pleased with that family dynamic yeah and if you're not i mean ultimately you're going to be dissatisfied it's going to feel like it's unfair and therefore that's going to erode trust and goodwill between you and you're probably not going to be functioning very well so yeah it's not going to feel very good if they're if they're in a hierarchical structure that they didn't agree to or didn't kind of know was coming. Or sometimes you, you agree to it. And then after being in it, you're like, actually, I don't want this. Which, which might be why we're seeing a shift, because maybe some of these hierarchies were very extreme. Mm. And so people, yeah. I just mm -hmm. feel like that's how the world is a little bit. People tilt really far one way and then the pendulum will swing back to the middle eventually. Yeah. And so that might be some of the shifts we see. And then I think also like people can make different decisions on both sides of the fence now, men and women, uh, that they may not had access to before. And similar, like, you know, there's women that are really climbing, right, the, the corporate ladder or really positioning themselves career-wise. And when that happens, it's a different, they have different exposure, right? You, you, you're looking at the world a little more differently than it may be, your, you know, say you're in a generational family where the mom stayed at home or where the mom didn't have access to that. So like your mom is still kind of saying, okay, this is the value system that worked because it, maybe it worked for her, but maybe mm -hmm. you're, you're, you know, you could be pushing against that because you're like, man, I actually, I have opportunities my mother doesn't have. And I see this side of the world and these things I'm experiencing that I actually enjoy. So I'm trying to balance this with some of my traditions, right? And some of my cultural yeah. beliefs. So I, cause I've, I, I have friends like that where their families have 
certain belief systems around like, okay, you should be married by this age, have kids by this age, and so forth. Um, and they struggle sometimes yeah. because they do still, when you're raised a certain way, you just, these things are ingrained in you. So it's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that, but it's just they, there's other things that they may be interested in. So sometimes they often settle into the role for the most part, but sometimes there's a little angst because I think they're just experiencing different things, you know, from their, their and parents. And I believe Amber said this at the beginning um, where you have two parties coming from two different cultures in their minds or honestly based on how they were reared, how they were raised, they're both right. You know, whether we go yeah. back to my famous right. sock analogy, thank you, you know, um, that it was okay for us to leave the you know, socks on the floor. Don't so, get any ideas. Know. Don't get oh, any well, ideas. Oh, well, no, of course not. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. Don't get carried away. I'm not, I'm not going down that hill. No, no, no. I'm totally kidding, but no, it's true. I, I always often joke, like when you, you know, meet people, work with people in different professions and have different experiences, you're like, we all kind of landed in the same place and we all have different ways and a rhythm of how we operate. So it's not yeah. one way that gets you there. It's multiple ways. And the proof is when you're, you know, surrounded by people and you're in the same place, you're like, man, we're here. We're in this relationship together, but like, we just are used to things being a little different. And when you dialogue versus getting into the gridlock, you do seek to understand and you come from a place of seeking to understand versus judging the behavior, I think. It, it, it yeah. shifts things because you're like, oh, that's why you're this way. Or, you know, Kay and I would joke about that. As soon as we met each other's parents, we were like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Because yeah. you see the mm-hmm. traits that are transferable, right? You have that aha moment. And then it's not so personal. You're like, they're not doing that to annoy me. That's just like how they were raised. And so that I always find that interesting. There was one um, other question I wanted to ask you, and I know our time is running um, to a clo- coming to a close soon. You know, there was something where you talked about like why couples have totally different reactions to the same argument. And mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting because like you can say something semantically in the same language, maybe in yeah. the same tone you think, but someone could walk away with a totally different reaction to it. So what is, mm-hmm. you know, from what you've seen in your practice, why does that happen? So in any situation, like we're human meaning makers. That's all we do. We make meaning out of everything. If you, you know, we go to an art museum, we both look at it, you can hum and haw like, oh, did they use red there because it symbolizes power? Or did they just like the color red? And you're just talking about, no, that's the color shirt they're wearing that day. Who knows? We, can, we all look at things from different vantage points. And so it only makes sense that people are going to be the same. So what happens what we, when we do, we take in the data and then our mind is like a computer. And then what it does is, you know, you get that sensory input and then you take your information in and your well you know your information processor processes it and it comes out with you know some spat of what does this mean but the problem is you and your partner have different uh, information processors what it means to you both is different so i like to think that if if we use the sock we're on the sock all day so you both see the sock <laughs> one of you says sock oh there's a sock on the floor no problem that's what it means to you that's the thought you had that's what your the data was the sock your information processor said so it's a sock. Whereas the other one said, looked at the other partner, looked at it and said sock. The other one thought that sock is not in its place. How come? As a result of the different thoughts you both had, those different interpretations, the different meanings, you're going to have different feelings. So if one of you thought like sock, you're going to feel neutral. And as a result, your behavior is probably going to be to do nothing about it because you don't care because it's a sock. Because how we think influences how we feel, which influences how we behave. So if I think sock and have a neutral feeling and I don't care, I'm not going to do anything which is going to be different than if my other partner sees the sock and they think everything has a place. How could this be out of their place? They might feel frustration or rage, or they could feel unimportant. If they thought 
I'm just like, they don't care about me. Maybe they feel unimportant. So they might behave in a way where they stomp over and they pick up that sock and they throw that sock. So everybody sees the place that it goes in, or maybe they turn to you and they go, how could you leave your socks on the floor again? And so it's the big key is we both encounter the same sensory data, the sock on the floor. But what that means to us in our information processor of our mind can be entirely different. And that's going to happen with every partner, with most friendships. It's going to happen all the time. We're going to have different meanings because we're just little human meaning makers. I would like to be a fly on you guys' wall when you and your husband, because you seem like the type that you will look at your own principles that you've shared with so many people and say, you know what? It's fine. No big deal. Or I, 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 that's why I would love to be a fly. On a, no, but seriously, how do you handle, because I know it's so easy to do the teaching, the preaching, the therapist, you know, the therapy. But when we, trust me, I know this, you know, not, I'm not a therapist, but when I'm training and so forth, you know, I sometimes find the very things that I'm coaching other people in when it's time for me to live up to that. Sometimes I yeah. drop the ball and I'll literally hear my own voice talking to myself as if I'm talking, you know, to, 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 to a client or to a student and it corrects me. Um, yep. Do you find that happening, you know, uh, at times with you guys? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, if I, had, I know lots of stuff. I've had to do a lot of work to show up to practice what I preach, I suppose. I didn't always, I've, I've really had to do a lot of work, but one of my favorite examples is um, I have a thing about locked doors doors are unlocked it really it really bothers me I really want the doors to be locked so I finish work one day and I come downstairs my husband's making dinner or something maybe we're going to bed I don't know but the door was unlocked and I'm just like yeah you know I've done six sessions that day I'm tired I walk downstairs and I'm like you didn't lock the door and I'm saying it in like a snippy tone it's not cool and he looks at me and he's like how do you know it wasn't you and then it was like as if I floated up outside of myself and I was watching myself like therapist me is watching myself because I wanted in that moment to be like, you know, retort back. It, of course, it wasn't me. I always locked the doors. Clearly you. But this like floating version of me was like, do you care? Is it is this worth fighting over tonight? Do you want to fight it with the locked door? You, Amber, you are the one that came down and accused him. You didn't even say hi. Mm -hmm. Say nice to you, sweetheart. You led with, you left the door unlocked. I come downstairs and it blamed him. Of course he's going to be defensive. Because if you blame someone, their normal reaction is defensiveness. And in that moment, I had my therapist self watching my current self. And I had to, <laughs> I had the opportunity to make a choice to behave differently. Mm. And and what I, wa I wanted to say something snippy. Past old me would have thought about this for sure. <laughs> But instead, I said, you're right. It could have been me. And it shifted the whole conversation, didn't it? It yeah. did. Diffused we went, everything, right? Diffused everything. I just said, you're right. It could be. In my head, I was thinking, uh-uh. <laughs> no way. It was not me. That was in my in head speak. But your therapist, like, you was it, like, don't say it. <laughs> don't say it. And it like, okay, it could have been me. I can't guarantee you that it was i'm pretty sure i can't guarantee you it wasn't me <laughs> and like it, it could have been me for sure though if i wanted to address the, the unlocked door that was not the approach to take so later another time you know my husband doesn't lock the door i am frustrated and so i say hey you know i'd like to chat about the unlocked doors is now a good time and he's like yeah and then we chat about the unlocked doors and how it's really important to me the doors are locked. 
we've had this is a perpetual problem in our relationship that unlock this is the thing that will never be solved and when i go into this knowing that i want the doors locked and he's not going to lock the door right. he tries right i give him credit there's like a few weeks in a row he locks it every day and then the next week he doesn't lock it at all mm-hmm. and I, I go and i'm like the lock and i'm like okay do i want to get divorced Over about the, an unlocked right, door right. no no, I don't. It doesn't mean he doesn't love me. It doesn't mean he doesn't appreciate me. It doesn't mean he doesn't hear me. It just means he does not care about the door being unlocked. Mm-hmm. And I have to take it at that face value and then go lock the door. It's very frustrating. That is my truth applause. That is what, when, when I hear, I don't care who we're interviewing, when you just, I mean, you share your emotions because we all are human. You know, I don't care yeah. what platform you have. Um, and so whenever I hear truth that comes forth, um, I have to give them the truth applause. So thank mm. you, Miss Amber. Oh my God, it's been such a joy to have you on. We could go on and on for this stuff, cause, on this stuff, because you know me. I don't know about you, but I'm a nerd for this. Um, Kay knows that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I talking in her sleep. Principle number one. <laughs> He's joking, guys. He's joking. People are be like, "Ooh, she's really a dud." Oh no, but but no. Thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you tell people um how they can find you and if there's any new projects you're working on that you want to make people aware of, you can talk about that too. Yeah. So as you heard, my uh, practice is ember relationship psychology but my name is amber amber with an a amber with an e uh, where you can find access to most of my resources on on my website so www.emberrelationshippsychology.com one of the best things i have on there while i have podcast blog therapy services information everything i have a number of free guides and free resources so go check those out um and then if you want to like learn more about me i'm most instant most active on my instagram so a handle is at ember relationship psychology but www.emberrelationshippsychology will give you access to whether it's my podcast free guides instagram that would be the kind of hub where you could find it and i can share those links with you guys if you want all right that would be awesome so thank you again for coming on the show she was great right we enjoyed this thank you miss amber yes you're very welcome this is super fun yes we enjoyed you so much um, so, you guys, thank you for tuning in to the show. We hope you will walk away with some techniques for communication. Remember, get help sooner than later. Um, yes. <laughs> and remember, we want to dialogue, not keep fighting and go into yes. gridlock. Those are our takeaways. And for keep today. the stones that don't need to be overturned. Keep them down. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> that's another show with Amber in the future. We'll have to go there on another show more in detail. <laughs> but um, anyway, we're going to uh, end the show on that note. If you guys want to subscribe to future episodes of the Bed Talks podcast, you can do so on the Anchor app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many other platforms. Amber, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Until next time, XOXO. Who knows sometimes I'll put this on the